Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. Once again, my name is John Fairchild. I'm a longtime member here at Grace Community Church, formerly in the pastoral position, and it's my privilege to bring you the message again this morning. Thank you for tuning in and listening, and uh, I trust that uh, it will be a, a good time and a, a time of strengthening and challenging us in the Christian life and the Christian walk. The last time I uh, gave this message here, uh, about three weeks ago, uh, I was speaking about love, and when I ended, I said I have a part two on that message, which I normally would have been giving today. But uh, I need to talk to you about prayer this morning. They say that uh, the secret of public speaking is having something to say. And I have something to say this morning about prayer that I want all of us to hear. So I ask you to listen both with your heads and with your hearts. Prayer is a vital part of the Christian life. Uh, so let me begin with a short prayer. I'm going to adapt a prayer spoken by Samuel way back in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And uh, I'll pray this on behalf of us all. Lord, we are your servants. We ask you to speak to us because we are listening. Amen. During the last week of June of this month, we are going to have a special season of prayer here at Grace, and we're simply calling it Seven Days of Prayer. Uh, in my notes, I put S-D-O-P, Seven Days of Prayer. Let me try to describe uh, what we'll be doing, what we will be doing, what we won't be doing, and uh, later on in the message, I'm going to uh, try to explain a little more about why we are doing this and why it is so important. But uh, the seven days of prayer uh, will begin on uh, Tuesday evening, June the 22nd, right after the special members meeting that is held uh, on Zoom for uh, the members of our church. And we will kick off our seven days right at the end of that day, Tuesday, June the 22nd. Now, fast forward through to Monday, June the 28th. That is our normal Monday night prayer time uh, on Zoom again. And we will end our seven days that evening, that Monday evening, and inviting uh, lots more people than usually come to that Monday night prayer meeting, inviting as many of you as possible to that Zoom meeting to end our special season, our seven days of prayer. And, uh, and I hope that lots of you uh, will come and we will all pray together. That's how we can gather nowadays uh, because we have so many other restrictions on us, as you know. What will you do during each of the seven days of prayer? Uh, we will uh, make available to everybody who wants it a little daily prayer schedule, or call it a prayer guide, if you will. And it will have a, a verse about prayer, a brief devotional thought about prayer to hopefully encourage and equip and inspire you. We'll have uh, some items listed each day that you can pray for. You don't have to pray those items if you've got something else on your heart, no problem. This guide is just a guide, just something to try to uh, help you, make it a little easier for you to pray. And uh, we'll have a couple of little questions to ask you personally and uh, a little action item that perhaps you could think about to do, uh, up to you what you would do uh, at the end of that. And, that. and if we'll have one of those little prayer guides each day that you can tune yourself into and be guided by if you wish. <clears throat> we won't have a collective prayer gathering as a church because we can't. Uh, as I said, at the, the last evening, Monday, June the 28th, we will uh, gather on Zoom and pray together there for uh, the final hour of our time. But each day, you have many, many choices, many options. Uh, it's really up to you. You can pray individually for a period of time each day. 
you can pray with a partner occasionally, or you can get together in a little group of two or three and go for a walk outdoors and pray together for Grace Community Church and its needs at this current time. You can pray with your family, you can pray with your spouse, you can, uh, as I said, pray on your own. If you miss a day, no problem. Just pick it up and pray again the next day. We're not putting anybody under any heavy legalistic, uh, you have to do it this way sort of thing. Uh, we want God to guide you and we're gonna put it in your hands to pray. All we're going to say is that prayer together as a church at this time in our journey is really important and we wanna have this special season to pray. There are precedents in scripture for special seasons of prayer, of course. There were uh, moments in the Old Testament when the people of God faced uh, a, a terrifying adversary, sometimes a foreign invading army. They would gather everybody together to pray to God collectively together. Uh, there's uh, prayer and fasting happens in the book of Joel. Uh, and in uh, Acts uh, chapter four, the early Christians are threatened by the authorities for preaching the gospel and preaching Christ. It says they gathered together and they prayed to God for strength and uh, for his help in their task. So we're doing that, spreading it over a period of seven days, asking everybody to pray at least a little every day and we pray and hope that you will. Pray for Grace Community Church, pray for its people. It's some people are doing great, some people are hurting. Some of it's due to COVID, some of it's due to other factors. Pray for our leaders that we could lead well. Pray for our youth and our youth ministry. Pray for the future pathways of Grace Community Church. Pray for healing as needed, for strengthening and refocusing as needed, and for our church's fruitfulness here in the city of Guelph. Let me read uh, you two verses about prayer uh, and, uh, and then I'll go on to some other things. The first verse comes from um, Luke chapter six, verse 12. And uh, it's uh, just a quick sh uh, look at Jesus praying. Jesus prayed a lot uh, to just talking things over with his father in heaven. And here he is on the eve of the moment when he's going to choose his 12 specially designated apostles. This is a huge choice because the future of the gospel going out into the world depends upon this choice of these individuals. So what does Jesus do? He prays. Let me read you from Luke 6, verse 12 and 13. Uh, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the whole night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And then the passage goes on to name all of those 12 choices that he made for his leadership uh, apostolic group. But what struck me in that passage was that Jesus went to a mountainside and he prayed all night to God over a big choice coming up in his life. So there's lots of applications there for us. I guess I would ask you and ask myself, where's your mountainside? Where do you go to to pray? And uh, we're not gonna ask anybody to pray all night, but you can if you wish to. If God tells you to, do it. And, uh, and so uh, uh, that, that verse has that to say to us and we see it in the example and in the life of our Lord himself. You would think maybe being the son of God, he wouldn't have to pray so much. He'd already have uh, all the power that he needs. Not so, he prayed a lot. And then we fast forward several years into the life of the early church, the early Christians, and we have Peter, one of those 12 that Jesus chose on that day, Peter the apostle, and he's 
been traveling and planting churches and preaching the gospel, and now he writes a letter uh, to uh, various groups of Christians, uh, and they're beginning to experience persecution and difficulties, and so Peter tells them this, 1 Peter 4, 7. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober of mind so that you can pray. He doesn't tell them to run and hide. He doesn't tell them to take up arms because of the persecution. He doesn't tell them anything like that. He tells them to be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. They were to seek God in their troubles and in their difficulties that they were in. Alertness and sober-minded means you, you pray and you engage your mind. You put away frivolous things, you put away the distractions, you focus in and you pray intensely. You're using your mind as well as your heart and your spirit to pray, and that is so very important. I'd like to run over now five brief reminders, almost like five little tiny mini sermons about prayer, just as reminders for all of us about what it's all about. <clears throat> Point number one, we live in a highly competitive, achievement-oriented, results-driven culture. We really do, don't we? There's world trade going on and we're competing with people on the other side of the globe and, and so it's competitive and it's results driven. That's the world we live in. But many Christians have set aside prayer because they previously on some previous occasion prayed for something and the expected prayed for results didn't materialize and maybe that has happened several times and, uh, and so they've concluded either that prayer doesn't work or it's overblown, or it's a waste of time. They would say better to be busy doing practical things because that will produce results. And well, honestly, results represent success and oh, how we love success. And to that I would say, be careful. If prayer to you is just a means of getting things and getting results, getting stuff, and the stuff isn't happening, then you will be strongly tempted to quit. <clears throat> I'd like you to think, picture two things. Picture over here a vending machine. You know, it's got potato chips and chocolate bars in it and you put coins in it. Over here, picture a garden, maybe 20 feet by 20 feet with garden plants growing. Some of us treat prayer like God is a vending machine. We come with our toonie and we want a result and we put the toonie in the vending machine and out comes the bag of potato chips immediately and if it doesn't come out immediately, we're kicking the machine, right? And, uh, and, and, and that's how we treat prayer. I come to God with a toonie's worth of prayer and I put my prayer in and God is expected to produce the results, snappity, snappity. And, uh, but that's not how prayer works. Prayer is more like the garden. You go to your garden and you till the soil and you plant the seeds, and then you cover them over gently with the warm earth, and then you go home. And uh, your kids say, Daddy, where were you? And you say, I was at the garden. And they say, well, well, where's the lettuce? Where's the carrots? And you say, well, it's not quite like that. Uh, I, I, I'm, it takes time. And then you go back to the garden in a day or two, and you uh, water <coughs> where those seeds were put. 
Then you till the soil around a little more and you come home and everybody wants to know where are the cabbages and where are the carrots and you say, it's gonna take a while. And then you go back to the garden again and you pull some weeds and then you go back to the garden again and you till the soil a little more and you go back again and you water a little more and maybe two months later, you're bringing home some green beans and some beets and some radishes and uh, maybe some big juicy tomatoes. Prayer is like gardening. You till the soil, you water the seeds, you pull the weeds, and you be patient. The vending machine gives you instant results, but that's not necessarily how prayer works. Gardening produces beautiful and much better results than a bag of potato chips on demand. Tomatoes and carrots and beets and, 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 and snap peas are way better and way better for you, but it takes time to see the fruit. And prayer is like that. It's walking with God, working with God, doing kingdom work with God. Point number two, prayer is not a church growth strategy. Say you want your church to grow and you're saying, hey, we need to grow this church. And so we get some books about church growth. There are bazillions of them out there. We go to a church growth conference. We learn all the tricks of the trade and we come back and we say, we need a better sign out front. That's a good church growth strategy. We need some uh, social media presence, a lot more of it. We need to update this and we need to carpet the auditorium and we need, you know, and, and these are all church growth strategies. And someone says, hey, maybe we should pray too. And maybe that will cause growth. And uh, I, I have trouble with that. Prayer is not a church growth strategy. It's just something that Christians do. It would, it's what we do in, in, as part of our vital relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's not like we want to grow, so I guess we'll pray. We pray just because we're Christians. We pray just because we love God. Let God cause the growth. Let him take care of the results. Let us pray because God is worthy of our prayers. Uh, <clears throat> let me say this. It might be a little surprising, but in our seven days of prayer... And, and uh, even in your normal, regular daily prayers, I would advise you not to pray that Grace Community Church would grow bigger. The reason being is because there's not a verse in all of the Bible where Peter or Paul or James or even Jesus himself said that we should pray so that our numbers would grow. If you read, well, you don't have to read too carefully, it's everywhere, but if you read through your New Testament, we are told to pray for our faith to grow. We are told to pray for our love to grow. We are told to pray for more humility. We are told to pray for patience with people. We are told to pray for endurance in difficult times, but we're never told to pray that our churches would get bigger. The reason is, is because if we value the things that God values and we pray for those qualities that are so Christ-like in our life, God will take care of the growth in his own good time. Remember the gardening analogy? We need to pull the weeds, water the seeds, and God will take care of the fruitfulness to come later on in the process. Let's pray because we value what God values, and God values when we are dependent on him and working alongside of him in the work. Point number three, our faith is not in prayer. Our faith is in God. Prayer then, what is it? Prayer is the expression of our faith to the God that we believe in, to the God that we have faith in. We have faith in a God who is able to hear our prayers. 
We have faith in a God who cares about our lives and the things that we're praying about. We have faith in a God who is all powerful. We have faith in a God who is loving and will do the loving thing in answer to our prayers. And we have faith in a God who is utterly, completely wise and will know exactly how to do it and when to do it and where to do it and all those sorts of things. And so we pray to that God. Our faith is not in prayer. Our faith is in God. It's good to think about God and to think theologically about God when you pray. Uh, the more that you think about God and study about God in the scriptures, the, different, the more perhaps different your prayers will be rather than just having a little shallow picture of God and praying prayers that fit a shallow God, pray to a big God and our prayers will be different. They'll be patient and we'll understand more about what God is doing in our lives and in our church and in the world around us. Number four. For those of you who are not particularly good with words. And for those of you who are not particularly articulate, and the words don't flow from your mouth as easily as other people, and you have trouble putting the words together to pray, and your prayers are always rather short and you feel kind of bad about that, let me say this. Long prayers are not necessarily more effective prayers. <clears throat> Sometimes we think, man, the longer I pray and the louder I pray, the better the results are going to be. I would venture to say that there have been countless long-winded prayers, theologically perfect prayers, prayed in churches all over the world on Sunday mornings for thousands of years, uh, and those prayers have never made it through the ceiling because maybe they were all about us, or maybe we were so impressed with our own praying that uh, God wasn't impressed with our praying. But there's another type of prayer, and this is the one I want to direct you to. Not long prayers, prayers that have these three qualities. Faith, you can see that in the Gospels, right? Sincerity, you really mean what you're praying. You're not just going through the motions. You're not just saying the right words. You mean it from the bottom of your heart and you are sincere and humility. It's not about you. It's about God's glory and the good of others that you're praying for around you in the world. And if our prayers are marked by faith and trust in that God I was describing and humility, selflessness, and in uh, sincerity, uh, those prayers will not only make it through the ceiling, they will make it all the way to the heart of God, and that's what prayer is all about. We will be heard. You can pray those prayers. People pray those prayers. They pray sometimes uh, 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 rather uh, bumbling, wandering prayers, grammatically quite incorrect, uh, but they're tear-drenched prayers. They're praying for a loved one. They're praying for a son, for a daughter, for a situation. And uh, those prayers are being prayed in living rooms and bedrooms and kitchens and in cars and on walking paths. Uh, around the city. God is hearing them because they come from the right kind of heart. So don't worry about praying long prayers. In fact, I recommend that we don't. In Luke 18, Jesus told a story. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. Uh, one was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed the long prayer 
And he went on and on, and most of his prayer was about himself, and he was rather demanding in his prayer. And then Jesus said, and he told us what the tax collector prayed, and the tax collector prayed a short one-sentence prayer. It was humble. It was broken. He said, Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, bingo, I heard that prayer. And so let us pray like the tax collector. Point number five, in our seven days of prayer, how should we pray? When should we pray? Uh, where should we pray? Let me just sketch some little pictures of, of how you could do it, just so you know the freedom that you have. Uh, you can pray every day on your own for a few minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour. It's up to you. Pray as long as God enables you and as long as he helps you. You can pray in the morning when you get up. You could take your lunchtime at work and go for a walk in the park nearby, wherever you work, and you could do your praying for Grace Community Church out there at that time. That'd be beautiful. You could pray before you go to bed. You could pray at all three of those times. You could call up a friend and say, let's go for a walk and pray together. You could call up three or four friends and, and gather, sit, sit, you know, socially distance and, and, and pray together. Uh, there's going to be a uh, extra Zoom time prayer uh, halfway through the week, and uh, we'll give you information on that. You can join in that and pray for Grace Community Church. You can pray in all kinds of ways. And uh, I encourage you to experiment. I encourage you to be creative. I encourage you to listen to God's leading and pray as he instructs you and leads you to pray. Let me give you a couple of more principles to remember about prayer as we head towards our seven days of prayer. First of all, <clears throat> the first principle is give him what you've got. You look at me and you say, huh, what did you say? What, what does that mean, give him what you got? What I'm saying is give God what you've got as far as prayer goes. I got this idea from a sermon I heard about a year ago from John Tyson in New York at uh, Church of the City, New York. And he was just simply making the point. Here's how I'll make the point. Every Christian has a different, I'll call it a prayer capacity. The capacity to pray for a long or a short time. The capacity to pray a lot of scripture in your prayer or very little. The capacity to pray with perseverance. The capacity to pray with passion. The capacity to pray with faith. And we all have a different capacity and nobody's capacity, as different as they are, is better than anyone else's capacity. For example, someone may have the capacity, uh, a prayer capacity of nine out of 10. They really pray well and strong and passionately and it's good, they're, they're for real. And their, their, their capacity is a nine out of 10. Another person who maybe is a new Christian or maybe has gone through some difficult times and their faith has taken a beating or maybe they don't know much about the Bible or even have had much uh, teaching, scriptural teaching about prayer, their prayer capacity is a two. It's not, not that big. I don't think God cares. Give him what you've got. If you've got a prayer capacity of nine, don't pray down at the level five and, and dust off your hands and say, well, that should be good enough. If you've got nine, give him nine. If your prayer capacity is two, because you haven't had some of the advantages that the guy with nine has had, pray out your 
level two prayer capacity. Give God what you've got. Here's the danger, is that the person who maybe feels that their prayer capacity is a two and isn't as strong as that prayer giant on the other side of the room over there, they might say, eh, it's not worth my while to pray. The spiritual battle out there is so strong and so hot and heavy that my puny little prayers aren't going to make any difference. I'm not a very good prayer anyway, so I think I'll skip the prayer part and leave that to the others. And I would say, big mistake, don't do that. Give God what you have. Whatever you have in prayer, as weak as you might think it is, pray it, give it to him. Give him your all. I hope that encourages you to, 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 to feel like I'm not worthy to pray or I'm not able to pray very well. Let me give you examples. There's a precedent all through scripture about, scripture about what I'm talking about. Example, great famous old story, 1 Samuel 17. Goliath the giant is out there facing down the, the armies of Israel. Everybody's shaking in their boots. Nobody's uh, willing to go out and fight Goliath. Along comes David, probably a teenager at this point in his life. He's not a trained soldier. And uh, to make the story short, he goes out and faces Goliath, not with a sword and armor and a helmet, but with a slingshot. All he had was a slingshot. But he gave God what he had. He put it into God's hands, you might say and Goliath was defeated. Very important to give God even if all, what you've got, even if all you've got is a slingshot and not a big long sword to fight with. Other example, uh, there was a boy who came to one of uh, Jesus' uh, meetings out on the mountainside and uh, there were thousands of people there, uh, probably 10,000 or more people present. They were there a long time. Everybody was getting hungry. The Jesus said, we should give these people something to eat. The disciples banged the bushes and couldn't find anybody with any food left over, except they found this boy, and it says he had five loaves and two fish. And the disciples, I would have said the same thing. They said, and what is that amongst so many people? In other words, that's pretty useless. Five loaves and two fish, not much at all. Jesus said, and he only says this in the Matthew version of the story. He says, bring it to me. They said, okay. So they brought the five little loaves and the two fish, probably just about a lunch, and they put it in Jesus' hands. And if you don't know the rest of the story, Jesus multiplied it. He did an act of creation, and he fed thousands of people with those five loaves and two fish. That little boy gave Jesus what he had. The key wasn't how much he had, the key was in whose hands he put it. Another example, a widow came into the temple and Jesus and the disciples were watching people put money into the offering basket in the temple, a box when they came in the front door. And uh, people were putting in large amounts of money and everything. And, and then this widow came along and she was maybe, maybe looked a little bit ashamed because she didn't have much to put in. And she made sure no one was watching possibly. And she dropped in two coins. It says two small coins, maybe worth a couple of cents in their, in their day, in Jesus' day. And Jesus nudged the disciples and said, look guys, he said, look what that woman put in there. She put in, and he somehow knew this, she put in her last two coins. He said, all the other guys, they put in out of their abundance, but she put in out of her want. And then he said, she put in more than all of them. 
You must notice how heaven does math. It's different than how earth does math. She put in more than all of them. From our point of view, it wasn't more than all of them at all. But from God's point of view, he can multiply things and make it go far and touch many. And that woman's two coins did exactly that. Why? Because she gave God all that she had. When you pray, if all you've got is a one or a two or a three prayer capacity, you pray that. Give it to him. Give him what you've got. I encourage you to do that. It's been said, if you pray badly, then pray badly. It's better to pray badly than not to pray at all. And I'll leave you with that on that point. Having said that, if your prayer capacity isn't too big, I want to challenge you, though, to consider growing it bigger. I want to challenge you to consider pushing yourself at least a little bit. You might be surprised what happened. Even the disciples once came to Jesus and said, Jesus, as they watched him pray, they realized they were nowhere near that, so they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. They wanted to grow, and I want to plant the seed in your heart that you desire to grow in prayer as well. Push yourself a little bit. That's how we, that's how we get fit. That's how we lift large uh, 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 amounts of weights in the gym. Uh, I have a son who lives with Kathy and me, and uh, about a year ago, he uh, realized that he wasn't very fit. He was uh, not doing any, spirit, any uh, physical exercise at all, so he got this little routine and he started to follow it every morning when he got up. He would do some uh, squats and he would do some push-ups and something else. And uh, he started off doing about 20 push-ups. The next week, he upped it a little and pushed himself did 25. The next week after that, he pushed it higher and he pushed himself and he pushed himself and he never quit. I admire his perseverance and his endurance. I asked him two days ago, I said, how many push-ups are you doing these days, Jason? And he said, about 120. 120 push-ups every morning, not all at once. He divides them up into about three subgroups and he circles through his routine. But he has pushed himself and it's surprising where you'll end up if you'll do that. So I encourage you, and I'm listening to myself, saying push yourself in prayer and learn how to pray uh, and, and grow in prayer. It would please God. Let me give you a quick word, just a quick thought about fasting. Because, uh, well, salt goes with pepper, bacon goes with uh, eggs, and prayer often goes with fasting. Not all the time, but sometimes in Scripture you will hear the phrase prayer and fasting going together. And fasting simply, just to put it in the simplest possible terms, fasting is when we deprive ourselves of something that we usually do, and maybe something that we like to do, such as eating, uh, in order to give more time and more serious time to prayer. God loves that. Often in scripture, people fasted when they were really up against a, a difficult situation. Uh, or when, you know, when they were in a crisis, or when they needed to pray more intensely, they would, they would basically send the signal to God, I would, I'm choosing to pray even above eating today. And uh, God notices that sort of thing at those times in our life. And, uh, and so fasting also, of course, reminds us of how weak we are. I am not a great faster. Uh, I don't really like it, but I know it's in the word, and occasionally I do it. 
Uh, and uh, when I fast, as soon as I've missed my first meal and I'm about an hour past it, I'm starting to feel weak and I'm starting to notice how weak I am and how vulnerable I am. And when we fast in our prayers, we also experience our weakness, but it's good to experience our weakness because it causes us to reach out to God for strength and for the help that we need. And so how much should you fast in the seven days of prayer? I don't know. I leave that with you, but I encourage you to fast a little bit at some time or another, sometime during the seven days of prayer as you fast. You might skip one meal and pray through that time when you might have been eating. You might, you might fast for the whole seven days and pray a lot through that time. I'm not saying you have to do that. That would be very difficult. You might fast and say, I'm gonna skip my lunches for the seven days and I'm going to devote that time to prayer. You might fast one day and just drink water and eat no meals that one day. Whatever, just give God what you're ready for and what, you want and, and, and what you've got. There's a new type of fasting that uh, some Christians are discovering that they didn't have to worry about in the uh, New Testament times. Some Christians are going on a screen time fast or a social media fast where they think about all the hours and all the time that they put into that part of their life and they say, I'm not gonna do that for a day, for two days, for seven days, whatever it would be, and I'm going to devote more time to prayer, to God. And so I just leave that with you as well. I encourage everyone possible to do some kind of fasting in your life <clears throat> during our seven days of prayer. Let's review quickly as we get near the end here, let's review some of the reasons, some of the important reasons why we need to commit to a special season of prayer here at Grace at the end of June. We're ending the season, of course, we're on the verge of summer vacation, so sometimes it's good just to wrap the season up uh, in prayer, and that's part of it. Let me mention COVID right off the top. For the past 15 months, we've struggled with COVID and all the restrictions placed upon us. Some churches have been devastated. Some have been badly divided over how to handle the government's restrictions. We can thank God this has not been a problem for us and I commend you for your commitment to unity. Um, <clears throat> but COVID has affected our worship we haven't sung out loud together as a congregation for 15 months. That's unheard of. If you'd have told me we're not going to be able to sing for two weeks, I would think that's terrible. A month? Terrible. 15 months. We haven't been able to worship and express our thankfulness and our praise to God uh, in, the, in the manner of singing. And singing is a very spiritual thing. We've been deprived of that. We've not been able to gather for fellowship and hug one another and greet one another and be a family in that capacity together because of COVID. We miss it. It's taking a toll on our lives and on our spiritual lives. It's affected our youth ministry. It's affected our kids ministry. We've lost some people. Some people have maybe in the midst of COVID, we've lost track of them and they've decided, no, nah, I can live okay without church. We need to pray as a congregation because of the impact of COVID upon us. But there's more, sadly. Uh, within the past two months, uh, our thriving youth ministry uh, has taken a major hit because of the departure of our youth pastor, Steve Kennedy, 
Steve was a fantastic youth leader, but he's felt called by God and he's on to Stratford where he's taken on a pastoral position up there. We wish him well, uh, but we will miss Steve and his wife, Leah, who worked in our church office in the administration area and who was very valuable to us there. We've lost both Steve and Leah within the past two months. They need to be replaced and that, that always leaves a gap. It leaves a hole. We need to pray. We are calling every person at Grace to a season of prayer from June the 22nd in the evening until June the 28th in the evening at our Zoom prayer time, during which season of prayer, we all, individual person by individual person, couple by couple, household by household, will commit to seeking God in prayer for our church's health and fruitfulness and healing. And we will pray accompanied by the deep conviction that we can't do this on our own. There's a commercial I laugh at sometimes. It's a, it's a man in the bathroom and the whole family's in the bathroom brushing their teeth and the kids notice that he's got this f fungus on his toenails. It's kind of gross. And everybody's going, oh, dad, that's terrible. You should get that looked at. His wife is saying, you should go to the doctor and get that looked at. And typical guy, he keeps saying, no, it's fine. I've got this, no problem, I'm okay. Let's not be that as a church. We're not okay. And we don't got this. We need to pray intentionally and seriously in faith to God. I don't know if our church has ever been through such a season of crisis as we are in right now. Let me reread those verses I read at the beginning. Sometimes verses change after we've heard a few other things in between. The passage in Luke 6 says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the whole night, the whole night, praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And then Peter's own words in 1 Peter 4, 7. Listen to the urgency here as persecution mounts against the church. Peter says very soberly, the end of all things is near. In other words, it's a time of crisis. Therefore, he says, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. For a closing prayer, may the goodness of God our Father, and the love of Christ our Savior and Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit our Helper enable us and move us, young and old, new Christian or longtime Christian, strong prayer or struggling prayer. May God enable us to pray and to lay hold of him in faith like we never have before. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.